everyone. It's time for Necromaniacs. I hope everyone's doing well. This week, uh, I've got co-host Jeff Kashid on the horn What's up, here. guys? Hey, Jeff, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. All right. Let me, let, let me turn my fan off. It seems to be making some noise. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bad. I'm trying right? to be... Yeah. Trying to... Trying to be professional over here. Oh, really? Damn. Jeez, yeah. you got the wrong show for that then, brother. <laughs> Don't I know it? No, we're making right, up that's... as we go along, man. Yeah, that's how we do. How you doing, man? It's good to talk to you again. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a minute. I'm doing okay. Um, you know, summer is here. Uh, summer is fucking flying by, man. You know, it's already August. Jesus, you know. And um, Yeah, yeah. I just remember when I was a kid, man, like summer would come around and you would have this like long expanse of freedom. And it just, it felt like two different eras of your life. Like when you finish school in the spring, then you have summer and then you come back in the fall and you noticed how people have changed, you know, and how like, mm-hmm. you know, things are different now. You know what I mean? You're a year, you're in a different grade, but now like summer is just like nothing nothing man it just comes and goes it's crazy yeah and and especially like living out here in la like i feel like i don't get to appreciate it because it's it's usually somewhere between you know 80 and 90 year round here so like the summer is usually somewhere between 90 and 100 (laughs) like wow that's the only like big big day like there hasn't been any crazy heat wave this summer but yeah you're right like like now you might like i can't believe it's 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 august already and like you know, maybe it's because of the uh, pandemic or whatever. It just seems like nothing summer is really happening happening out here or anywhere. Yeah, back in the day, I used to work construction over the summer. And I was oh, like, wow. part of me was like, uh, you know, back then I'd be like, oh, it's going to be great. I'll be outside, like wear no shirt, get a tan, you know, like, you know, whatever. It was cool. You know, I had to have some money in my pocket, like that kind of thing. And um, now in the adult world, you know, and there's still a part of me that's like, oh, yeah, summer's coming, man. I want to walk around with no shirt, get a tan, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And then it's, it's already like August, and I haven't walked outside once all summer without a shirt on. I've, I've, I've been shirted all summer long, man. I don't have a fucking tan. I'm pale. I'm like a glass of milk. I don't know if that's a bad thing, though. Walking around shirtless, you know, uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a, that can go wrong real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if I walked around shirtless in my current state, like, I don't know, I, I would probably be arrested, <laughs> rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so what have, what have you been checking out, Mike? What's, what have you been watching? Actually, I saw some really cool stuff, man. Uh, Brandon Legion recommended that, uh, I check out Servant on Apple Plus. And uh, are you familiar with that show? Apparently there's two seasons already. No, I'm not familiar with it. There's so much tv now and so many different apps and networks that i like it's it's almost overwhelming well no it is overwhelming (laughs) yeah like what's this called it's called servant and uh if if brandon recommends something usually it's pretty good so i have to check it out so brandon from the horror wolf podcast our uh our affiliate we're known associates of necromaniacs and horror wolf and he recommended this uh, servant show, so I checked it out uh, a couple nights ago, and I'm about maybe halfway through the first season, and um, it's it's awesome. I mean, M Night Shyamalan did it, 
So that is not. I, I have heard of this. Yeah, it's yeah. not necessarily something that I, that's that name doesn't necessarily drag me in. But mm, I, um, I agree. Lauren Ambrose is in it from uh, Six Feet Under. I don't know if you remember her. Um, I remember that show fondly. Uh, the, I love Six Feet Under. The young redheaded lady. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah, I remember her. Like ironically, I was wondering whatever happened to her. I was like, whatever happened to uh, Claire from uh, from Six Feet Under? And now I have an answer to my question. She's on. There you server. go. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, everyone knows. Like, it, it was weird to like see Dexter and then go back and watch Six Feet Under and see Michael C. Hall playing such a different character because I only knew him as Dexter. That dude looks exactly the same though. Yeah. Isn't that funny? He hasn't aged like one minute since they played uh, on Six Feet Under. Yeah, good, good, good for him, man. Good, good genes. Yeah. I also went to go see uh, the Green Knight in uh, the movie theater yesterday. Wow, I have many questions. Then, what's it like going to a movie theater? I haven't been inside one in about sixteen, seventeen months. Well, this is my second uh, adventure into the land of movie movie theaters, and um, oh, okay. I live really close to one. There's an AMC that's like literally five minutes from here, and um, it's like a mile and a half. It's in a big mall, and it's one of those, mm. one of those dine-in theaters. So uh, there's plenty of leg room, which I appreciate. And uh, right, right. You know, I have the AMC app, so I scan to see what's playing. You know, what's what do they got going on? I buy my tickets. You buy a seat. If you want to order a meal, you could even do it the day before. And when you check in, your food comes out. It's kind of cool. Wow. I didn't order anything, honestly, but I've seen. I saw other people doing that. And, um, yeah, I've never eaten in a movie theater, really, other than, like, you know, popcorn or some shit. I, I really don't even usually do that. I have. Uh, I've, there's the Nighthawk Cinema in Brooklyn. I've seen a few movies there, and I've ordered right. food. And uh, it's actually kind of cool to, like, you know, eat, like, uh, a fucking grilled cheese or something while you're watching a movie. Yeah, I know the Alamo Draft House does that, and they just opened one out here uh, not long before COVID. And uh, you know, my girlfriend went—I forgot what she saw—but uh, she said it was—it was cool. It was like watching a movie in like your your living room. You know, you can eat like fucking chicken wings or whatever <laughs> while you watch a movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I think it's cool, but I just I just haven't yeah. recently. But uh, mm. yeah, it was it was interesting, man. It was um, you know, in New Jersey. It's optional to wear a mask. You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, what I do is I carry one with me. And if people are, are uh, raw dogging it, then I don't put it on. And if I go into a place like Whole Foods where everyone's wearing a mask, I'll just, at a common courtesy, I'll put my mask on. Yeah. You know I, mean? I have the, the same philosophy. Uh, if I'm indoors, I'll wear a mask. Uh, if I end up talking to someone outdoors and they're wearing a mask, I'll put mine on. If they're not, I won't put it on. Yeah, and you know, and I, when I went into the theater, I saw the employees were wearing masks, so I put mine on. I'm like, you know what? Out of respect for them, they got to be here all day. You know, for all I know, yeah. I'm carrying COVID nineteen, and I'm just, you know, what I, mean? I don't <laughs> yeah. even know. Like, I mean, I'm actually getting another test tomorrow, so I'm going to know tomorrow nice. whether or not I'm carrying anything. And, but and you know, at some point, someone said some shitty comment to them, like, "Oh, you're still living in fear." I see. Yeah. Uh, well. Probably. And um, if some people are scared, then that's fine, man. It's like, I get it. it. It's a scary situation. And, you know, if uh, 
if you're someone who has to say something like that, then you're more of a fool than someone who has any courage, really. Because it's like the reality is like I could probably take people to a lot of scary places and uh, I don't criticize people for being scared of anything. You know, that's just like you know, a human response. But I have courtesy and I have uh, empathy for people. And if someone wants to wear a mask, that's cool. And if you want me to wear one, I'm totally fine with it, too. So that's my approach to the whole thing. Agreed. But, How yeah. was the movie? Um, I'm oh, dying to movie. see this. Um, <laughs> my, my, yeah. uh, my impression was colored by Ralph Schmidt, who literally, as I was sitting in the movie theater watching the previews for other films, I saw that Ralph posted something about uh, the movie and how much he hated it. <laughs> wow. So, so I was like, oh, man, this is like I'm already like kind of developing a bias towards it. But um, I, I I thought it was pretty good, man. Like I, I didn't have a problem with it, you know. I mean, I, I said I'm guarded now because Ralph is like so strongly opposed to the movie. <laughs> but uh, but I, I actually kind of enjoyed it, man. It's like this kind of, um, you know, it's about uh, Sir uh, Gawain from the Arthurian legends, right? Know, the Legends of the Green Knight and all this stuff. And I mean, obviously they take they take a lot of uh, you know license with the the storytelling, but. I, I thought it was pretty cool. It was like this kind of like abstract, you know, A24 style. Sure. You know, hipster telling of the story, I guess. You know? <laughs> I mean, suddenly, I don't know how, I mean, you know, hey, honest, just being honest, you know. I mean, Dev Patel plays uh, Gawain and the dude's mm -hmm. like from India, you know. Right, you're, yeah. You're in like medieval Europe in the UK, what was to become England. So I don't know right. how that happened that you have like a guy from the middle east like an uh you know as like a son of the king you know what i mean i mean the king's like this kind of this white guy you know so i don't right yeah i mean we live in a, a different type of uh scenario these days but yeah for sure what would happen if you're making a samurai movie right and you got like chris rock playing like the shogun <laughs> you know, it doesn't make sense right you know it's like right. Or you're making Wasn't a movie there... about Africa, you know, and you have like uh, I don't know Arnold Schwarzenegger playing like an African king. <laughs> it doesn't really work. Yeah, that, that that happens a lot though. Wasn't there a movie called The Last Samurai starring like Tom Cruise or something like in in, in the nineties? Right, but and, also he uh... played he played an an Englishman that was mm. in it was like a I don't know the story a hundred percent, but he had to do with he was a European that was in feudal Japan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, there was also a movie about Egypt that came out about 10 years ago. I think Ridley Scott did it that had like an entirely like white cast. <laughs> and and uh, it was just kind of it, it, people were, were pretty upset over that. Well, I, I get that because if you're for you sure should, you should cast people that would make sense. You should, you should cast people that of that, just, you know, Middle Eastern culture. You know, it makes sense to me, you know. I mean, it's, you know, we've been, the white man has been guilty for, you know, ages of casting like John, John Wayne as like Genghis Khan or something like that. Right. You know yeah. I mean? So I, I get it. You know, I understand like, you know, if you have like a Native American character, then you should cast a Native American to play the role, you know, and, and that's just, uh, I, I mean, I'm not, that's, I'm not, I don't want to harp on that because I don't want people to think I'm like some, you know, fucking Boogaloo, boogaloo boy or fucking something like you know what i mean like yeah no, i'm, I'm sure. just making an observation and i like dev patel as an actor and i think he did a Me great too. job i think he was great in the film so that's funny i didn't even 
really think about that when I saw the trailer for that movie. That's a that's an interesting point. Um, I'm a big fan of that director, though. He, his last film, I think, was a, a Ghost Story, which was fantastic. Yeah, it was cool. It was good. I, I recommend seeing it. You know, like, um, yeah, it has like that kind of abstract, like dreamy, like vibe to it, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's definitely uh, on the list. I mean. It's weird, like I said, I haven't been out to the movies in, in, in quite a while, so I, I just need to get over that hump, you know, just, of just going into a theater and sitting down, and I'm sure within, like, you know, five minutes, any anxiety will be, you know, like, relieved. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, there were, I, went, I went to a matinee, so there really wasn't a lot of people there, but it was, like, it was comfortable. I, I, I was cool with it, man. I, I, I went to a death metal show last weekend. I went to see uh, Putrid Pile play out at... Um, mm. Lucky thirteen, uh, not oh not, yeah. But I, I, let me. Rem, update, oh. I'm going to give you an update. <laughs> okay. The lucky thirteen that you're thinking of used to be on Thirteenth Street in Park Slope, right? The small yeah. bar, the metal, the heavy metal bar. They have, uh, uh, yeah, uh, John from Candiria used to uh, used to bartend there, and I, I DJ there a couple yes. times. It's not that they relocated to a bigger space down in Gowanus. You know, like maybe two mile, two or three miles from where it used to be. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, now, yeah, yeah. They have like a show space and all this other stuff now. Yeah, isn't it like a strip club now or something? Or <laughs> well, it's technically it's not a strip club, but there's dancers there that are dancing on the bar. There's like pole dancers. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it kind of had that vibe when I would go there when I was living in New York. That was like a. I lived in New York from 2006 to 2000 or 2005 to 2007. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it kind of had that vibe back then too. I was there when they started that because um, our, you know, Mike Scandato, my co-founder of this podcast used to DJ there as well on uh, I remember he had oh, like okay. a Wednesday night DJ thing. And I remember going to hang out with him on those nights and I remember when they started up the uh, the, the go-go dancer thing. And then it, that just stayed with them. But now they do it all the time. Because when I went on Saturday night, the first thing I saw was some chick's ass. And I was yeah. like, oh, wow, yeah. look at that. You know, like, I haven't yeah. seen one of those in a while, you know. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it was like this uh, all night long. They got these ladies uh, not naked, you know, wearing some sort of like heavy metal-esque outfits, very scantily clad dancing on the bar yeah and i do remember like people who did not work there getting very drunk and then getting up and dancing on the pole and that usually ended ended in complete disaster see that, <laughs> i remember that happening a few times I, I like that that kind of chaos though i gotta be honest with you man it reminds yeah, me yeah me too it's like one of the few things about that remains about the new york that i like to remember you know maybe from the 90s and the late 80s where it was just fucking chaos you know yeah and you know jeff and his wife who who own that place are, are, are good people too man like uh it was a fun spot my wife hated the fact that i hung out there i can see when I, was married. Uh, I, I can imagine <laughs> yeah, i can imagine certain women having a problem with that place you know yeah she had a problem yeah um that's cool i'm glad they're still up and running man good, yeah good, yeah good for them like it was packed like tons of people were there and no one you know not everyone seemed to be cool no one had any problems you know whatever but uh um, nice actually jeff accompanied me and mike uh to see a serbian film when we went to see it in the in the alpine in in, uh, in bay ridge 
Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> one, of, one of the only five people in the theater and one of the only three left at the end of the movie. That is a real good film to just gather up your friends and family and sit around the fireplace and just watch a Serbian film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. You check out anything else? Uh, oh, well, yeah. Mike, Mike recommended I check out the documentary about Woodstock 99, and I, I checked that out. And uh, you and I were talking a little bit about this before. That I, I, do, I remember there being one Woodstock in the 90s. I didn't realize there was two. Yeah, I was kind of like putting them uh, together in my head because like uh, I think I mentioned, I was like, oh, it's weird they're not mentioning like the Green Day mud fight thing. That seemed like a big cultural moment when that happened. But then I realized, yeah, that was at a different Woodstock. That was a Woodstock 94, which would make much more sense. That was when Green Day was really like, huge and relevant. By 99, by the time that rolled around, they were kind of on the outs. New Metal had kind of come in and taken over like the mainstream <laughs> alternative scene or whatever you want to call it and yeah, I, uh it, it shows in the documentary for sure <laughs> dude i um i remember hearing like you know i didn't have mtv like i didn't have cable like all throughout the 90s really i didn't even have a tv really, really. i just had like a vcr and you know i lived i i was like on this you know what a huck finn adventure throughout most of the 90s <laughs> but but the um but yeah, so I didn't get the exposure. Like for I, I never, I didn't see Twin Peaks when it was on TV because I didn't have a television. Oh wow, yeah. that was like eighty, eighty nine, I think, when that that first aired. I, most of my life, I haven't had like cable, really. You know what I mean? Yeah, I have almost my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. But um, so I I knew there was a there was a Woodstock, and mm. I remember hearing about there being violence, but I I didn't realize to what extent. The, the, the sort of uh, Lord of the Flies-esque chaos. Like, what, what was going on exactly? And this, this documentary, I was like, damn, there was like... First of all, the people at the show were like these just backwards baseball hat-wearing, shirtless white dudes with cargo shorts that were like into Limp Biscuit and Fred Durst and, you know, you know all this like corn, new metal, like nonsense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I remember this happening at the time. Um, you know, you'd see, like, I, ha I had cable and I had MTV, and you'd see, like, you know, newsflash with Kurt Loder and, like, violence erupts at uh, Woodstock 99. And they tried to, like, make it like, well, you know, there's, like, $5 bottles of water and food is, like, 20 bucks, and these people are, have just had enough of this bullshit consumerism. But I don't think that's what it is no, at all. I think not at all. When you, when you get bands like Limp Bizkit, Corn, and Kid Rock, you attract a certain kind of person. And that's what it was. You attract fucking knucklehead morons, and knucklehead morons are going to do stupid shit. Like, set things on fire, break things, and, and just act like idiots. And that's that's what it was. It wasn't some rage against consumerism or anything no. like like that at all. Yeah, and there was all these, like, sexual assaults and all this crazy shit that was going on. And, and there was at one point where, like, the guy, one of the organizers was like, well, you know, what do you expect? These women are rock walking around topless. And I'm just like. I cannot believe that guy actually said that out loud in front of the camera. Yeah, like, he, had, he would thought that was, like, totally fine to, like, oh, yeah, they had it coming to him, basically, because they were walking around with no tops on. Yeah, I, I, I think that guy must have, like, it, just, I, I hope if he's watching that, he, like, 
he's at least contemplating like maybe I should stick a gun in my mouth or, or never say anything on camera again. Like, that was just a, an absurd thing to say. Yeah, you know, and he did. No one talked about how like just how fucking certain types of people just can't control themselves, and that's like a problem, you know, and how. It's an interesting psychological thing because there was this one kid that was talking about how he's like, well, you know, I'm not the kind of person who starts trouble. But right, when, yeah. when he was in, involved, like, he's like, yeah, we had this feeling that we were all in it together. And then we just started wilding out. And then next thing you know, women are getting raped. Stuff's getting set on fire. You know, like they're like raiding the uh, ATM machines and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, man, that's like. It's such a, like the mob mentality, you know? And, mm. and yeah, they had these, these, these like shots of like naked white men dancing around fires. And I was like, Jesus, man, this is like some fucking Lord of the Flies shit. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, that's the thing about Woodstock, uh, well, the original Woodstock. You can't recreate that because that's sort of what was happening back then is completely different. That was happening in, uh, you know, 99, like completely different mentality. Um, so if you had a Woodstock now, I think it would be a lot different than what happened in 1999. I think what, what you'd see now would be more reflective of like the, the first Woodstock, I think. I just think it'd be a bunch of people trying to like outdo each other with fucking virtue signaling. And it, well, first of all, the music would probably totally suck, really. You know what I mean? And yeah, it would be like garbage, like EDM or like SoundCloud rappers and like just and and, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers because they're still relevant somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but, man. But the one takeaway is I, I got reminded of how fucking sick uh, Fred Durst is. <laughs> how yeah, fucking, man, how fucking like, awesome he is, man. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, dude, there was so much discussion about new metal around that time. Like, when bands like us and Candiria were torn together, like, is this a good thing for, for us? Like, maybe, like, heavy music is being accepted, and that, like, that, that could be good for bands like, you know, Isis, Candiria, Dillinger, Escape Plan, stuff like that. Ultimately, it wasn't, like, none of those bands had mainstream success, and... But it was interesting to see like bands like B tunings and stuff be selling millions of copies of the, of their albums and like bands like Slipknot, you know. I mean, that was a, a heavy band. Well, Slipknot came a little bit later, if I remember correctly, right? Like they were more um, like early two thousands, maybe. Yeah, but they weren't really. I mean, I remember new metal, and then there was that second wave of new metal where like the really shitty bands like Mushroomhead and Mudvayne and all that stuff kind of came about, you know. Well, new metal didn't help metal because real metal fans no, no, ultimately it didn't. definitely no, didn't agree. embrace that shit. And the 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 fucking morons that like, you know, I'm sorry to offend anyone out there, but if like if you're if you like new metal, you're not. I mean, maybe if you're, like, a really young kid and you got a corn record, that might be a gateway to, like, listening to, like, you know, like, Slayer or, like, Napalm Death or something like that. Or most likely not, but I don't know, <laughs> you know. But I got to say, Slipknot, though I'm not a fan of their music necessarily, I recognize them as being one of the only bands that can actually fucking play their asses off, man, and are, like, actually brutal, you know. Yeah, I, I guess I could say it's technically good, but yeah, it's not really my thing. And, uh, you know, I, I was in a, a 
a band with someone who was in that new metal scene, you know, the Deftones. And, yeah, uh, actually, it's funny, man. Like, we do a whole episode in, in, um, on Everything Went Black about the Deftones. And, oh, really? Yeah, which it's, it should be out around the time that this is out, and uh, which is ironic, really. It's kind of synchronicity, you know. But, um, yeah, for someone who doesn't like new metal, as much as I do, I, t- I spent a lot of time talking about it. If you, I don't know if you noticed that, <laughs> but uh, the Deftones, though, were way different, though, man. There is some, I would say they were uh, more adjacent to that scene than actually in it. Like, I think there was some maybe common threads between them and Korn, but, mm. you know, they had like the, the kind of hip hop thing a little bit, but they, they ultimately became like a totally different thing. And I, I actually like the Deftones. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I like them, too. Um, yeah, I always, I kind of, like, wrote them off in the beginning until, like, uh, I forget what tour. I think it was the Isis Candiria Dillinger tour. Aaron Harris was doing most of the driving, and he would play White Pony quite a bit. And I remember thinking, like, this has more in common with what we're doing than, Do- than totally. that new metal scene. Like, it's progressive metal, like, influenced by, like, an all, you know, a lot of alternative and you know, I dug it. I was like, I had to get over my prejudice of that scene they came from. Cause you know, like when you're like in early twenties, you just tend to write things off without really thinking too much about it. Like, Oh, they're from this world. Fuck them. I don't care. But when I actually listened to it, I was like, well, this is, this is actually really good. And I, I can relate to this and, and what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, when they, in the nineties, I didn't give a shit about them at all, but um, yeah, like, it took me like a decade to come around to them musically. And, uh, but I just I do remember that being that record being played a lot in the apartment I was living in, and uh, and I, that made me like it less in a way because those guys were like these <laughs> kind of. My roommates at that time were bands that played in hardcore bands that were trying to play like more commercial style shit, and uh, right. And I was like, oh, of course you guys like this, you know, like that and the Radiohead were like the things that a lot of those hardcore esque people were like gravitating towards that you know like, oh well, i'm older now you know <laughs> right it, it's funny i was gonna bring up radiohead like i was gonna say white pony was the okay computer of metal like yeah any party i went to or anyone's house i went to like at, at some point okay computer was playing like for a year you couldn't escape that record and yeah yeah totally a, man a few years later white pony became that record like everywhere i went like someone was was, was playing it but now I like I, I like both I like I don't really like Radiohead but I like Deftones. Oh, I I love Radiohead. I love OK Computer too. It's one of my favorite records of all time. Um, even when I was back when I was a roadie for Today Is the Day, we listened to OK Computer <laughs> on that tour quite a bit. Yeah, like I mean, yeah. it was inescapable everywhere I went. Like everyone just loved that record. It just really right place to right time kind of albums where it just really hit everyone. Yeah, you know, so I, I, I'm cool with, uh, with, with Deftones. Uh, they, I don't think they played that at um, Woodstock. I don't think they did. Did anyone from the original Woodstock play? I think I remember they tried to recreate that vibe a little bit by having, like, I don't know, Crosby, Stills, Nash, oh, and Corn play or something. Corn. <laughs> <laughs> Durst and Neil Young. Oh, God, man. <laughs> Fred Durst is yeah. so fucking awesome, man. <laughs> It's funny that like, when you think about it, like he was a pop star. Like, I know. He was mentioned alongside people like Britney Spears and and uh, uh, MTV had a thing called Total Request Live at that point where you would see artists like, you know, like uh, 
Limp Biscuit, and then the video for Britney Spears and then Justin Timberlake. It was all kind of the same thing. Like it was metal, but it was still like in the pop zeitgeist. Whereas like there's nothing like that now. Yeah, I mean, I just don't consider Limp Biscuit metal. You know, it's but it's like I guess it was. You know, it was new metal. Yeah, exactly. That, that guy is just—he just looks like some fucking asshole that you would just see, like, I don't know, like date raping some chick somewhere. You know, he was some jerk off tattoo artist from Florida. Like, <laughs> now he's directing movies. Wow. <laughs> like, hey, man, maybe he knows something. I don't. You know, it's doing good for him. You know. Well, if you saw the one of the movies he directed, I, I don't know if you'd be saying good for him. He directed this John Travolta piece of shit it's one of the worst movies i've ever seen I, it was kind of impressive how bad it was i wish i could remember what the fuck it was called but john travolta plays like a stalker and it, it's just a, such a misguided movie from beginning to end he and, definitely um, he has the eyes of somebody who would drug a girl though like at a bar you know what i mean yeah he's a fucking creep <laughs> like he definitely has like a creepy vibe i Really surprised some Me Too story hasn't come out about him. Yeah, actually. Imagine if he was, like, an awesome guy. Like, he was cool. Like, he was totally into, like, you know. Like, he's, like, listening to this right now and silently a tear is running down his eye. Good. Fuck him, <laughs> like, he's like. <laughs> his feelings don't mean shit to me, man. I don't know this guy. Yeah. Fuck him. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that was an interesting documentary. I wish I was paying closer attention to it when I watched it, but I, 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 um, I'm definitely going to rewatch that. So have you seen anything that was worth uh, checking out? Any recommendations? Not really. I've been keeping it kind of light as we talk off air. I've been, you know, some, some personal issues going on and uh, been trying to watch some, some, some lighter stuff to just lighten the mood. Um I rewatched the movie Swingers from the 90s. Oh, that's great, man. I love that. I fucking love that movie. And I haven't seen it in probably a good, I don't know, man, 20 years at least. And it's just crazy to see, like, you know, how far John Favreau has come. I mean, just being like this young writer guy, you know, to basically creating the Marvel Universe or or kickstarting it at least with, uh, you know, I would have never seen that coming. And, yeah, definitely, um, man. Yeah, he's he's. I, I, I'm a big fan of his, actually. Yeah, me too. I'm 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 definitely a fan. And uh, you know, just seeing like Vince Vaughn, Ron Livingston, seeing them all at the, the beginning of their career, all young and everything. Um, it was a trip, man. That was one of the the, the movies I think that defined the '90s. And you know. I think was a big part. I, do you remember, Mike, in like the late '90s in Boston, there being some sort of like big swing revival in, the, in, in like the punk scene? I do, as a matter of fact, I do. Yeah. And I remember everyone wanted to be like um, like Frank Sinatra back in the late '90s. Uh, there was yeah, that, but that, like that, Frank Sinatra with like neck tattoos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there was that place, the B side, which was I think in Somerville. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that place. Yeah, I used to we used to go there sometimes, and it was like, once again, it was like guys in their mid twenties that were like, oh, yeah, I'm older now, you know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there was like that vibe, you know what I mean? And it's it's like funny to think back on being 25 and 26 years old and being like, well, you know, now that I'm getting older, um, you know, I'm trying to like, you know, be into this different scene, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I yeah, but like I. 
I think that movie had a huge, huge part in that revival. And uh, all those bands started popping up on like, you know, Warp Tour and like having videos on MTV. Um, and then year, like and within like a two years or whatever, it was gone. Yeah, it was short-lived. Like, yeah. I mean, Rockabilly Punk, whatever, obviously existed before that. You know, there and there were some bands that were like good at it too, like Rocket from the Crypt. But uh, yeah, it, it kind of it's kind of a fad and just died out. And and you know, some of the good bands stuck around, but you know, not many. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it it, it was cool, good to rewatch it. I don't think a movie like that would get made today. And if it did, it would be really different. I think the characters would be way less obnoxious and the movie would not be nearly as funny. Um, also, another thing I watched, the HBO Max show called uh, Hacks. Hacks, um, okay. Yeah, it, it's uh, about this uh, woman, she's in the early 20s. She's a writer living in Los Angeles. She tweets something that gets her canceled. Um, and she ends up working for a much older comedian uh, woman out, out in Vegas writing jokes for her and it's sort of about uh, their relationship and um, wasn't something that normally would ca- catch my eye but you know my girlfriend was watching it uh, and I sort of like you know poked my head and found myself you know getting dragged into it and I watched watched the whole thing in a couple days uh, you know it's fairly like light, light lighthearted it's not really dark it's pretty funny um, so if you're looking for something like that I recommend hacks well Completely on the other side of lighthearted is uh, <laughs> this week's film, Censor. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Censor, it uh, was released. Oh, what the fuck is the release date? I got it written down here. Okay. Censor came out on uh, January 28th, 2021. Um, mm-hmm. UK production. Written and directed by Prano Bailey Bond. And apparently this is her debut film. Yes. Yeah. And uh, she had a writing partner on this, Anthony Fletcher. And I'm going to mention, I'm going to give credit to the cinematographer because uh, the movie looks fucking awesome. And the cinematography yeah. was by Anika Somerson. And um, the runtime is 84 minutes, which is a little bit lean, if you ask me. Yeah. No, I agree. It's a little bit you know, short, I would say. Um, yeah. And uh, the movie, you know, the movie uh, takes place in the '80s, and um, actually, for a setting in UK, in the UK during the '80s, there was this list known uh, colloquially as the Video Nasties, and um, that arose because video releases didn't have to go to the same certification that theatrical films did. So, um, as a result of that a lot of these super extreme films uh, went to the market completely unedited. Mm. So as a result, there was all this like uproar. Up, everyone was up in arms about the extremity of some of the films. And, and as a result of that, they passed this uh, legislation um, that required them to be, to things essentially be censored. And right. um, yeah, that was the Obscene Publications Act. And uh, there was a list of like, you know, 72 films or, or more, actually, you know, like films like Maniac, Straw Dogs, The New York Ripper, Basket Case, you know, Mad Evil Man, Dead, Evil Dead. Yep. And um, and that's 
that's the environment that this film takes place in. And also, I want to add to the to the you know just to this whole background that the UK does not have an equivalent to the First Amendment. So, in though they are very tolerant of free speech, that right is not protected by any kind of constitutional amendment or legislation in the UK. So that's how things like this happen. And that's important to, to discuss because of, you know, once again, you know, not to get up on the political soapbox. Go ahead. What we have in this country is we have a First Amendment. We just have to be very careful that we don't suppress things, you know, and I don't want to get into the fake news like Trump stuff. But but, sure. yeah, it's it's, um, you know, it, it's it's a very uh, important facet of our society, which is not present in a lot of other countries that we consider to be, you know, our peers, such as Canada and the UK. Right. So that's the background of the film. It, yeah, it, it, it's interesting that, like, I, you know, again, I went into this movie not knowing very much about it at all, and like thinking that that, I mean, while the movie like censorship is a part of it, it colors the movie. It's really not entirely what the movie is about. It kind of uses it as a, as a springboard to, to go into other ideas that basically like censors do what like schizophrenic people do. They confuse reality with fiction. And that's sort of the whole theme of the movie. At least that's what I took away from it. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's, it's, it made me think like I watched this movie twice and like, I saw it a few weeks ago when it was available, and then I watched it again, you know, a couple of days ago, and it's oh nice, very relevant, man. And like like what you were saying, that sort of schizophrenic, you know, delusional aspects, that goes hand in hand with somebody who's just inundating themselves and trying to watchdog what the public actually sees. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, you know, back when this movie takes place, the video nasties, I, I'm sure you, I, I remember this, the reading about this stuff when I was a kid and, and, and it kind of gave like these movies more power to me. Like they made them like more desirable to see like, oh, this is the movie they don't want you to see, you know, um, how it's sort of relevant today. But like it, it's, you know, back in the 80s, it was like, you know, the, the religious right more conservative types and now you, you have people more i think on the left uh trying to like censor what you see and what you read and uh, i think that is definitely a like part of this film yeah definitely like it's still, yeah it's the right wing yeah. people now who are claiming uh oh yeah you know freedom of speech you know <laughs> right it, it, exactly exactly um but I mean, but that's not entirely the the message of the movie. Like I said, it just sort of colors it, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It really is a lot more psychological than than uh, than I was expecting. I really wasn't expecting that much from the movie, actually. But, but when, when the credits rolled at the end, I was surprised how much I really, really liked this. I I, I went into it knowing that people were talking about the film, and it was like, you know, there was this buzz. And that made me think that I, that I probably would be disappointed, honestly. You know? Right, yeah. But I, but it totally, I totally wasn't. Uh, before we start talking about the movie too much, let's get into the cast, because uh, the cast was great in this film. We have, Absolutely. Uh, uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce her name, but I'm going to go yeah. for it anyway. <laughs> it's uh, Niam Algar. As, uh, she's the star uh, in, as Enid Baines, the censor. 
And uh, I don't know if you've seen her in um, the excellent Raised by Wolves on HBO, but she's. I have not seen that. Highly recommended. It's great. It's it's really pretty excellent. Raised and, by uh, is that the Ridley Scott thing? Yes. Mm. Yeah, I think you'd really like it. it. It talks about a lot of cool stuff. Um, and she's also in the the new Guy Ritchie film Wrath of Man, which I haven't seen. And, I have um, not seen that either. But I plan on watching it at some point. Same. Uh, we got Nicholas Burns as Sanderson. We have Vincent Franklin as Frazier. We have Sophia Laporta as Alice Lee. Adrian Schiller as Frederick North. That's a good name. Solid name. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Smiley as Doug Smart. Okay. And it's got Ben a, Wheatley regular. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, this film kind of has like a Ben Wheatley vibe to it a little bit. It definitely does. I was thinking about that uh, just this morning when I was going over like notes and, and, and stuff. Yeah. Uh, the film world premiered at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival on January 28th in the midnight section, which uh, if I were at the Sundance Film Festival, I imagine I would probably be uh, checking out the midnight section. Absolutely. February 23rd, 2021, Magnolia Pictures acquired the U.S. distribution rights. And, uh, and that's uh, how we see it. You know, Magnet releasing um, was, was uh, integral in the theatrical release in the States. And uh, there was a small theatrical run June 11th of this year. And then uh, it was released on video on demand uh, in June. And, uh, yeah, that's, I, I, that's I would have loved... Story. I would have loved to have seen this on the big screen. Like you mentioned earlier, this is a fantastic looking movie. Yeah. So Enid Baines, censor. Mm. Her job is to go through all these like extreme horror films and pick out what sections meet the standards and what don't and apply the scissors and snip everything down to uh, an unoffensive uh, or relatively unoffensive uh, presentation of the films. So, you know, we see her. There's some, some of the films they flash on the screen are uh, our old favorites, like uh, The Driller Killer and, you know, stuff mm -hmm. like that. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, something like I recognize that. Do you think, were some of them, like, specific, like, made for the film, or were those all from, from older films? Hard to say because a lot of a yeah. lot of the footage I, I, I totally recognize from some of those great films of the '80s, and um, some of it might have been created for the film because there there are some of these uh, some films that were obviously shot as part of the movie. Right. Yeah. And actually, some of the I wish they'd make those into into actual films. They look really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of like those Grindhouse trailers. We're like, oh, the trailer was an actual movie. Yeah, um, so, so go ahead. Sorry, I'm going to cut you off. Oh, no, 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 go, go ahead. Yeah. Also about, uh, about Enid is that her sister disappeared when they were very young. And, uh, you know, Enid is a grown woman now. And uh, she hasn't been able to let go of the fact that her sister is most likely dead. Right, yeah. Like, they, first of all, it's, the casting of Enid is 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 perfect. I like how you're introduced to this character. She kind of dresses like a like a Quaker or something. Like you get like this really uptight vibe from her right away, and uh, then you get the scene with her parents, and it establishes that her sister went missing. And I think early on in the film, you kind of realize something is amiss with her and the sister and all that. 
Yeah, she has just like, you know, like my impression. Like I, I've been to England, so and you have as well. Spent a lot of time oh, over yeah. in the UK. But there is that uh, stereotypical uh, British, um, you know, kind of stiff upper lip, uh, you know, dowdy, tweed office worker vibe that uh, mm-hmm. that uh, Algar nails to to put yeah. into the Enid character, and it's uh, yeah, you just get a sense that she does every, you know, she gets up, goes to work, you know, like does her job, comes home, you know, has like her, uh, you know nice uh british dinner and system, you know, <laughs> that's it that's her whole life is just going to work and being a citizen every day and you, you get the sense that she really enjoys what she does like she enjoys like chopping up these movies and like it's like some sort of like re- release for her from her boring everyday life how do you think you would react to a job like that where 24 7 or not 24 7 but say 40 hours a week you're just watching brutality all day long yeah yeah you know i was thinking about that watching this like how, how would I, I would like it, it's so funny from the 80s to now how different things are with how we like you know consume movies and uh how you know like the mpaa was a really really big deal back then getting like uh a movie released with an X rating meant your movie was never going to be seen as opposed to now when like, you know, you can just get something released unrated on video on demand. Just yeah. how different of a time it was. Um, I don't know. I'd like to think I would be like his puritanical, you know, uh, but who know who knows? I mean, who, who the fuck knows how, how that would affect me. Yeah. Yeah, what's interesting is like the, the, the guy, she, her partner that she watches movies with is sort of like, that guy it's just like a job for him he's not like really affected by it. he's very laid back he's smoking cigarettes he's got his feet up on the table where she's a lot more stiff and rigid and that yeah and that kind of like plays in because you know she's obviously traumatized by the loss of her sister and um i like the way they tell that story um it's kind of like introduced to you like piece by piece like what actually happened you don't know really what the whole story is either you just know that as young girls her sister went missing and then you know probably 20 years later i mean i imagine enid's like late 20s early 30s or something like that right her parents show up with uh this kind of uh de facto uh death certificate you know even though the body was never found the sister's been missing for probably a couple of decades, and I guess for closure, they're um, they're going to issue a, de- a death certificate, but they need Enid to buy in on it. And she's like, "Well, what do you mean? She's not dead. You know, we don't. Know. She could still show up, and you know, she might be alive, and all this other stuff." Right, and there seems to be like you know she was with her on the day she died, and that becomes like a, an important plot point. Yeah. So. There's a filmmaker, Frederick North, and he's like, you know, the uh, the sort of creme de la creme of exploitation films in the UK. You know, right. He's like, <laughs> yeah. He's like the, the meister of uh, the maestro of depravity. <laughs> and uh, there's, yeah. a, there's a film. Oh, actually, before we get into that, apparently a film made it past all the censors and there's trying to connect like a bunch of serial murders with the passing of this film. So now Enid is under scrutiny because something slipped by and they're saying that there's, there was a movie called Asunder 
that this guy, um, Frederick North, made that they're saying, um, or no, it's, it was a deranged. It was one of his films that, uh, right. that created like a, a copycat, you know, slasher or murderer or whatever. So now there's all this scrutiny on her. Right. They call him the amnesiac killer. The amnesiac killer, yeah. And uh, it doesn't that seem like something absurd that would happen on Twitter right now? It would, you know. But also, if you remember, that was kind of like a thing in the 80s. Uh, you know, people, I mean, let's face it. The 70s and the 80s, well, I mean, you could even say all the way back to, like, Night of the Living Dead being, like, the first, like, extreme horror film. Yeah. But that was, like, way fringe. But in the, you know, late 70s and the 80s is when you really started, like, extreme films, you know. And, and in the 80s, I would say they kicked it up a notch. Uh, maybe with maybe it had a lot to do with the advent of uh, the video technology. Like people mm -hmm. being able to, you know, especially 80, 81, which is a period that Mike and I have been talking about a lot recently uh, with the, ons the onset of all these like slasher films that came out as a result of the su success of Halloween. And people were just up in the ante with brutality and you know, like tons of like films, most of which appear on that, uh, which, you know, the video nasties list, list mm -hmm. which is kind of like a, here's my recommendations for, for sick movies. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. oh, cool, let me go down and watch all of these. You know, that's like how I see that list, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think, too, at the time, the 80s, people were quick to blame anything that was sort of counterculture as being, like, the problem. You know, the guy blows his brains out. Obviously, you know, he's listening to an Ozzy Osbourne record at the time. Obviously, it's Ozzy Osbourne's fault. I mean, you know, he did go to court and have to defend himself over yeah. something that absurd. Um, so that so was, yeah, yeah it, that was like it, the it environment. Didn't seem out of line. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah exactly. Yeah. So it, it, it's right along uh, along the lines of something that would happen in the '80s, where like, oh, was this you know inspired by this this video nasty, you know? And uh, we see reflections of that now, where where people tried to make it like if you saw the Joker, you know, you were going to get shot in the movie theaters. It's going to inspire these incels to rise up and murder people. There's actually a dot. Just a quick aside here. There's actually a documentary about incels, which I watched a couple months ago. Really? <laughs> it's like I forgot. It's like it's got some like uh, title, uh, like the way I feel or no girlfriend or whatever. It's like no like Jesus. T W I T W F what something. But apparently, there's like a meme that those guys use. Like the guy's name is like. I don't know, like Bojack or something. It's like this sensitivo-looking bald guy that the, the incel like. I don't. I don't. I don't fully understand it. But it talks about like 4chan and all that weird stuff that they're into. I gotta check that out. That's a world I don't really know much about. Did, was it like sympathetic to incels, or was it just like? Um, made by a woman first and foremost. Oh, okay. Right? Then, then I would imagine not. But not, I, I got to hand it to her. She actually presented it very objectively. Mm. You know, and I'm sure like, you know, because I, I watched like an interview with her and she's like this kind of attractive, like 20 something year old girl. And I'm sure all the insults are like, oh, fucking bitch. You know, like, <laughs> I'm sure they're like, yeah. we'll fucking murder her, man. You know, like that exactly. Kind of thing, yeah. You know? And it's like, but then she kind of like present presented it very objectively. How like, you know, I don't know. I, I, that shit's beyond me. Like, I'm not saying I'm like some fucking 
swinging dick in the world, but like, you know, I get it. You can't get a girlfriend, but you know, whatever, man. It's like, you know, I don't, mm. I, don't I just don't understand all that stuff. Maybe I'm too old for it, I guess. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know much about that, that world at all. I don't fuck around on 4chan and I don't really have a lot of sympathy for these fucking neckbeards who, who can't get laid and just fucking hate everyone around them, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, that's, uh, fuck them. Yeah, fuck them, man. I don't care about their feelings. <laughs> yeah, I got my own problems. Yeah, I got my own problems, man. Go out and do deadlifts or something, you know? Maybe fucking run around the block a few times and, like, you know, start winning. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> right. oh, where winning. were we? <laughs> All right, so, yeah, we're talking about um, uh, Enid. We're setting, you know, the background for her, uh, her involvement in this, in this drama here. So there's <laughs> a film, another frederick north film called don't go in the church mm -hmm. that she has to do her job on and look at it and review it you know make sure it complies with all the standards and there's an actress in there called alice lee which she believes could possibly be her missing sister right yeah and yeah that, that's, that's kind of like where the whole spiral starts in this movie yeah, which is like really interesting. Like, I wasn't really sure where the movie was going at that point. Like, maybe the sister really is missing, and she turns up, uh, you know, in, in this film. It really doesn't go the way you think you think it's going to go. Enid's sister's name is Nina, right? Yeah, it, you think it's going to go one way, but really, at this point, it sort of becomes an unreliable narrator movie. Whereas, like, it's a lot of it. I think this is taking place inside the main character's head. Yeah, there's definitely a feeling of, uh, of, of unreality to a lot of the film, and that's where the cinematography really shines, I think. Yeah, I like how, like, when it, when it goes into, like, her imagination of, of, of things that, that happened or the film she's watching, the, the color scheme changes. It looks more like, uh, you know, like a, a giallo almost. Yeah. Yeah, they actually use a lot of the, a lot of the giallo colors, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I really like how the film plays with uh, the aspect ratio, too, of, uh, you know, when you get towards the end, like you, the, the, the screen, you know, becomes more and more uh, square as opposed to rectangular. I thought that was a really, really nice touch. Yeah. So that, what I thought was cool was um, this fake film. <laughs> mm. Don't go in the church. Yeah. You know, they have like this uh, a recurring character that North works with uh, called the Beast Man. And, uh, you know, it, it's I don't know. I want to see this movie, man. I want it. I want it to be made. It's like some creepy woods, you know, uh, a, a woman wandering around. She, you know, there's like a, a shack and there's this fucking gigantic, like savage dude in the shack. You know, I don't know. It's, just, it's cool. Yeah. It really kind of reminded me a lot of like Twin Peaks. It was very Lynchian. Like, I was, was going to say that actually. I agree with you totally. Oh, okay, yeah, because like the you had this big like fucking like <laughs> just like savage Frenchman who kind of like is reminiscent of Bob a little bit. Yeah. And you have this horrible thing happening in a cabin in the woods, and the, and the color scene. It definitely reminded me of, of Twin Peaks. Like. I would not be surprised if the director mentioned that as, as an influence. Well, there, there's a couple of things that 
came to mind when I was watching this movie. Like, uh, for example, in a weird way, it reminded me of uh, 8mm, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, you and Mike covered that one, right? A movie I quite like, actually. It's, it's been a while, man. It's been like a good, I don't know, uh, since I lived in Boston, I think is the last time I saw that. I, I really like it. And I, I, I get people don't like it. They don't like Nicolas Cage or whatever. But like, I thought the movie was actually pretty cool. And there's things about this film that remind me of it a little bit because, you know, there's this like seedy underworld um, where the main character is descending into this like sleazy underworld to try to find someone. And, right. Um, yeah. The belief that, that person is still alive and is that that's kind of parallel to what's going on at eight millimeter. They're looking for that young girl. They, you know, they don't know if she's alive. Most likely she's dead. You know? Right. Yeah. They're finding like a filmmaker, this Frederick North character. And um, yeah, a lot of that reminded me very reminiscent. Now, there's an important scene in the film towards the end and I don't want to give away the ending I don't want to spoil this because it's a relatively new film that's out there uh, where she finally puts herself as an actress into the cast of, mm. of Frederick North's uh, one of his films which they're, they're shooting the Beast Man is back they're saying that it's uh, Alice Lee's uh, farewell picture and uh North's uh, manager, production manager, Doug Smart, um, he, he makes this very cryptic statement about Alice Lee's farewell film, and she's outlived her shelf life. Mm, yeah. Now, now that, there's a couple of things going on here. Now, there, do you think there's the scene where she confronts Doug Smart, which... Yeah. He, she goes to his house, and she tries to brace him up about like, what's going on, and he thinks she's there for uh you know obviously, obviously, something. yeah obviously she's there to have sex with this guy because it's like you know women just can't come to your house at night and without having sex with him you know what i mean <laughs> uh, obviously that's what she's there for so. <laughs> yeah right of course he calls her like a prick tease or something like that you know because just something like that she yeah showed up and came into his house <laughs> yeah but um that had this real creepy atmosphere around it while she's out like what, so what the hell are they going to do with Alice Lee? They're going to fucking murder her or like what? You know what I mean? It's just like weird, you know, and it kind of plays into this thing of like, well, maybe, I don't know. Like it has this like, like very unsettling vibe to it. No, sure. Yeah. And again, Lynchian, that whole scene reminded me a little bit of Lost Highway. Sure. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. With like the sleazy pornographer and, and, and you know, you know how, his, how it ends for him. Yeah. And I thought the way that the way that Smart gets killed, it's like yeah. it, it was kind of funny because like we're watching a movie. It's like that this weird fourth wall thing, like self-referential, where it's like okay, we're watching a movie about making horror films, and the way that he died, and the film's supposed to be like some re sort of reality, but the way that he right. dies is completely unrealistic. And it is the way you would see people get killed in, in slasher films, you know? Yeah, it, exactly. It was a very like funny sort of commentary <laughs> about the whole thing. And this also the beginning of like, I was saying like her reality and like the fantasy world is becoming completely entangled at this point. And she inserts herself in a film that she would without question be censoring 
later on. You know, you know what I mean? And yeah. the aspect ratio goes from, you know, the standard to like more square. And then like, she's just completely by the end of the movie in her own reality. When she finally meets Frederick North at the site, he says something very important. He's like, you know, people think I create these horrors, but horror exists all around us. You know, when mm. he's talking about how his films are, are usually based on something real. Mm. Yeah, I really like that scene where he's got the camera on her and he's, you know, sort of trying to direct her into the performance that he wants. It was really like, there was something kind of unsettling about the whole thing. Yeah, and and that that whole like that statement though, man, was like pretty pretty fucking right on about like, you know, there were moments in my life. Yeah. Where sometimes I wonder why the fuck do I watch these films? You know what I mean? Like, what what makes me so, <laughs> like, why do I submerge myself in very unpleasant things, and why am I attracted to that stuff? You know what I mean? And like, I think everyone asked asked themselves that question at one point. Anyone who's a fan of like this this genre of film and you know fiction and all this stuff yeah i just had this conversation with my friend uh yesterday well what, you, what, what was your conversation why do we gravitate towards this stuff and the conclusion we came to was i don't know <laughs> i don't know yeah i mean i i think about it i don't have a very good answer either but i do know that like the the sort of um rehearsal for death i guess is really what it comes down to you know and like a lot of this stuff is um like people make make art about things that that affect them you know right and i have to say that i think like i don't some of the filmmakers i've talked to about that make genre films like this are like they're they're creating the stuff as a reaction to things that they've either seen or experienced or that upset them or whatever and I think that's kind of like what he was talking about. He's like, well, I, I don't create horror. And in reality, at the end of the day, these are all just movies. They're pieces of art. They're fiction, you know, entertainment, if you will. And uh, he's not actually killing anyone. He's not actually right. adding to the malaise that's out there in the world. And he's not doing anything at all that's like, you know, yeah, sure, his movies might be subversive, they might be offensive to some people, but he's not really hurting anyone. Right, yeah. You know? I don't know, it was a very interesting, very deliberate piece of dialogue, I thought. Yeah, like, uh, that might have went over my head a little bit. Uh, I, I didn't get to, to watch this a, a second time, but now that you mentioned it, yeah, that, that does add a lot of weight to the scene and, and, and what comes after it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's... A fucking heavy movie. Um, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff in it. There's a lot of subtext, I think. I mean, you know, if, check it out again and see if you read some of these things. Oh, I definitely will. This was a... I really... This movie really surprised me. I didn't have a lot of expectations for it, and it went to places I didn't see it going. It was, it was smarter than I thought it was going to be. It was much more interesting and psychological. Um I found a lot of parallels between this and, and, and the, a movie we covered a few months ago, St. Maud. Actually, that's another one that it reminds me of. Be a very repressed character. I actually thought it was the same, the same actress. Yeah, yeah. I, I, for a second, I thought, oh, like, I, I thought the same thing. 
But it's like another um, uh, another English lady. But you know, again, not, we don't want to spoil the ending. But they, there was a lot of parallels between the, the, the endings of both of those those movies. I agree. One of my favorite scenes of the film is when uh, Enid uh, she's trying to get more of these uh, Frederick North films, so she goes into this uh, neighborhood video store. Yes. And uh, there's like these kids that are leaving, and they're like, "Oh, the Beast Man's gonna get you." <laughs> yeah and um uh, and then she sees like this like punk rock style uh woman returning films and she notices that there were movies that were that that had been banned you know right so, so that's like okay i'm in the right place so she kind of you know braces this guy up he's like oh yeah you know do you got anything else uh you know these other films you know that you might be interested in <laughs> yeah. Un- underneath the counter you know like a you know, and then she's the guy's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just like so funny, man. That was a great scene. It also made me really nostalgic for, uh, you know, growing up in the 80s and just going to a video store. And, you know, I'd go right to the horror section, just looking at the at the covers of the, the, the VHS and how much power they held. You know, like like just uh, an, an image on a box could hold so much weight with you. And you're like, Oh, I'm not ready to, I'm not quite there. I, I'm not quite able to rent this one just yet. You know, that's exactly how I felt. And, and uh, I guess in England, because certain films were banned that there might've been this like underground of uh, getting banned films. Cause you know, in the States, none of that stuff was banned. And you pretty much, when you went to the video store, the eighties or the nineties, they all, they, it was all there, you know? It was all just, like, in the horror section, basically. Right, yeah. Like, it, it was... Um, those movies wouldn't be, like, a mainstream thing, though. You know what I mean? They were, like, sort of, sort of direct-to-video, or they had, like, you know, they ran in, like, one theater for, like, two weeks. Like, horror was a definitely, like, kind of looked at as, like, trash genre. It was almost like porn, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, it's funny. You were talking. I was listening to your Everything Went ba- uh, Black podcast, and you were talking about why people, why metal and horror are so closely associated. Like, if you're into one, you're probably into the other, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, both things were sort of in the 80s kind of considered, like, very, like, lowbrow. Whereas, like, now, like, maybe we're at a golden age of horror where, like, you know, you have prestigious horror movies like, uh, like Hereditary and things like that, or anything A24 puts out. And, like... I think metal or heavy music gets a little bit more respect than it ever did during that time. Yeah, definitely. For sure. You know, and, you know, heavy metal or music or heavy, heavy music, extreme music is like kind of become more creative, too, as the years went by. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, the thing about uh, oftentimes these films their theatrical quote-unquote release would be in a grindhouse theater on 42nd street that probably shows porn as well yeah exactly yeah <laughs> and i i didn't live in new york during that time unfortunately yeah um because even as a kid i would be like i would rent these movies when i was in high school you know or my mom would rent it or whatever and like because my mom was like a big horror fan she still is yeah my, to mine day. too yeah. yeah so she we would always get you know, Evil Dead and all this stuff. And, and I was thinking to myself, like, where, where, you know, at that age, you're so innocent, man. You know, I'm, I, I didn't grow up in New York City. I grew up, like, in the suburbs. And I was just like, well, we have a UA cinema down here in the mall. But I don't see these movies playing there. 
Right. You know? And yeah. I was like, where the, where would you see these films in a theater? Like, do they just come on video? And I remember looking in the paper, and back then there would be um, advertisements for, um, you know, like, like they would have like porno theaters in there. They would have like, uh, you know, the Ritz would have, you know, Motorhead playing at the Ritz. Like there'd be shows, Max's Kansas City. Um, and then I would look at the, uh, you know, the, the 42nd Street theaters, you know, it'd be like Triple X and all this stuff. And then there would also be theaters that showed like Maniac and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's where you see these movies. So yeah, it's like porn, porn and horror in the eighties. They were kind of like similar. You know, you didn't have to go into that sketchy like back room to get the por- to get horror films like you do with porno. But they were on right. the same the same. You might as well have been watching porno, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, exactly. It's just weird to think that at some point people went to theaters to watch like X-rated movies like that. It seems like such a bizarre thing. Well, I don't think you, you, you show up there like uh, Travis Bickle. And, and I, most people weren't like Travis. Or it's just like, well, you know, I see a lot of couples coming here, you know. Yeah, well, well, it's a good movie, yeah. <laughs> it's like you don't go there to watch the movie. It's like you go there to like jerk off all over yourself or have <laughs> sex with another man or something like that. You know, that's right, yeah. like what, what the porno thing is, you know. Right. Um, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. It's funny you said high school. This was like grade school for me when I'd like yeah. I'd be obsessed with like horror and like looking at these like video covers and like, like I said, working my way up to like watching something that I think is going to be scary. And then you see it and you're like, this isn't really, um, I was nervous about watching this. You know, there's so many of those movies that just had like a great cover and then you watch it and you're like, yeah, <laughs> it's not that bad. Actually on the last episode, Mike touched, touched on that because we covered the burning and uh, not a good movie. Oh yeah. Great cover. Not really. Great cover. Yeah. Not a good movie. It has that one great shot, which where the cover comes from, I believe, with the the you know, the the um, uh, shears up, you know, and the sun above it. Uh, the, the one great shot in that movie. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so that's uh, I don't know. I I I do miss video theaters, uh, video um, video stores rather, and I do miss. Uh, being able to have that feeling again of looking at a cool cover, mm. you know, and that that's lost forever probably. Yeah. And I like how this movie was retro without being falling into the traps of something that is like, you know, like retro. Now it doesn't have like a retro score or anything like that. It just, you know, really feels authentically like it really does feel like the eighties. It nails it really well. And I found it interesting too. The director is not even in her forties yet. Wow. So she probably, this stuff is uh, academic to her probably. It's probably not even like an experiential thing for her to, to witness this. Yeah, or if it is, it was a very, very young. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a strong debut. This movie surprised me on just about every level. Uh, if I was to do a best of the year right now, this might be my number one. It's definitely in my top five for sure. I don't. I haven't assembled that list just yet. But actually, you know, now come to think of it, the fucking year is more than half over, man. So we it really start, is. Got to start thinking about these things. Yeah, we do. I got. I got three, like that. I know that are are, are top five so far, <laughs> and this is one of them, man. Like, if you're talking, uh, you know, flaming skulls, what are you gonna give it? I give it a four point five, man. I don't even hesitate. Same, exact same, 4.5. It's uh, uh, going to go down 
I'm going to get it on Blu-ray when it, if it ever has a Blu-ray release. You know, 100%, because I'm sure there's going to be, like, some cool background stuff on it, you know, extras, I imagine, interviews, yeah. that kind of thing. I would love to know more about the director or read, like, a couple of interviews, whether to see just, you know, like, perspective and things like that. Um, I think she's going to have an amazing career. Uh, there's so many, like, like on, on this podcast, we're, like, first-time directors who are just, like, knocking it out of the park. <laughs> like, Yeah, I, you know... I got, I'm really excited to see what she's got coming next. And, uh, yeah, I just I can't really say enough good things about this movie. Yeah, it's great. And, like, it, it, it goes by relatively quick. Like you said, it's like an hour. Like, without credits, it's probably only like an hour and, like, 19 minutes. It probably, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't feel too short. It doesn't outstay its welcome. It's, it's well-paced. It's just all around a very interesting film that like I, I think the more like I, I can't wait to watch it again and see if something like bigger reveals itself to me I and mean, I'm sure it will yeah I'm really hoping that there's a, a blu-ray release soon because I would like like I said I'd like to see some kind of you know extras or background or interviews about this absolutely yeah just like like yeah again like the quick things I read and when I was like wow she's young I thought she would have been you know a bit older and maybe like you know, my, our age or my age at least, and like grew up with that stuff. But you know, who knows? Yeah, any, anyone under forty is is young to me. So <laughs> I agree. I think forty is starting to feel like <laughs> young for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm getting up there, Mike. Yeah, hey man, it happens to the best of us, man. It really does. I mean, what what are your options? You either get old, or you die. I'd rather get old. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, exactly, dude. So you know. You know, it's funny we're talking about the best of 2021 I, because of just the pandemic. And like right now, things are starting to feel different. You know, like I'm OK, I can make a differentiation between time frames. But I'm trying to think like what actual films came out in 2021 versus 2020. And there's like a it's like this miasma of time that just like is one thing. So I have to really. I'm going to start working on my top five, I think, because we are, like I said, we're, we're past the halfway point of the year, and we got to start thinking about our big year-end special where all three of us get together. Right, and, uh, you know, there's still some things coming out. we got Halloween Kills yep. still to come. I think the three of us are going to do that one. Yeah. And well, we were going to do that last year, <laughs> but obviously we know what happened. Um, so there's still a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of stuff to go through, but, like, yeah, I'm kind of loosely going through a top five right now, and... There's uh, three films uh, that I think we've covered all of them that 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 are that are up that are up there for me. Yeah, man, totally. So yeah, all right, man. That was a a good pick, Mike. Hell yeah, it was a lot of fun. I hope you guys are uh, doing well. Thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, if uh, we'll, we'll if you guys want, if you dig the show, please share, leave a rating, and uh, that stuff helps. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Take care. Bye, everyone.